Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hits Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. The most important Bradfro show we've ever done is upon us. Uh, and it's not because I'm sitting outside at a restaurant with Brian Brennan, uh, formerly of Nesson, Nesson cameraman. It is because this has to do with a cause that is near and dear to a lot of people, especially people in the media, the John Martin Foundation. Uh, raising money for John Martin and his fight against ALS. And John Martin, in case you don't know, John Martin is or what is a, the Nesson cameraman who is stricken with ALS and is fighting that battle. And also there is a huge, huge outpour of support recently for John Martin. And I say recently because I do think it like has gaining momentum as it's going on. You've seen the Cafe Martin hat. You've seen the athletes. You saw Robert Kraft the other day do a press conference with the Cafe Martin hat on. And I, I think that it's moments like this. We saw it with the Ice Bucket Challenge and how that sort of the momentum just gained and gained and gained. And we're now we're seeing, thankfully, with John Martin, and I, hopefully it's just going to go from here. And the guy I'm sitting with right now is a dear friend, a guy who is one of the class acts in the industry, one of the funniest guys in the industry. Is there any any, any other superlatives I can I can give for you? Anything? If this is your chance to build yourself up, Brian, uh, I would. Uh, handsome. You left off handsome. Um, sophisticated, uh, intelligent, uh, uh, well-spoken, uh, clean. All of the reasons why you are no longer in, in, in the Boston sports media landscape. And just to give you some background, Brian was a cameraman at Nesson for how long? Uh, just shy of 10 years. Oh, wow, uh, wow. So 10 years, so... Nesson Cameron, I'm going to ask you, and I, I don't want to put people on the spot. I'm going to ask you like your top three moments, right? As oh, as because you did the Red Sox, the Bruins, and all that. That's obviously right. that can be a side note to this. How long did you work for John? Or I'm sorry, work with John Martin during your time in Nesson? 
Uh, I mean, he he basically was one of the guys that hired me. You know, uh, we we had a boss, but he was he and Pacamir were the two most senior guys, and they definitely were in the conversation of you know it's down to these couple guys. And they said Brian Brennan because I'd worked at a prior TV station, so I knew them from being at press conferences, and we all cover the same. That's how we all know each other. We sit around for hours waiting for guys like Belichick to come out and grace us with his presence and his his you know. Uh, his words or whatever. So there's hidden meetings yeah. in there, Brian. There's <laughs> hidden meetings in there, and I know the, the great thing. The great thing about all the cameramen, and, and I, you know, you guys are all really, really good guys, is that you have a, uh, I think, a, a realistic way of viewing like the press conferences that we don't. I think the writers are sort of sitting there. Oh no, Belichick. There's a hidden meeting. Oh, like if I ask this, or isn't it great? He laughed or this and that. And you guys are like, come on, let's just get this over with. That's <laughs> the one thing. It's so funny is. We, we don't we, it, we're recording it so we don't have to turn it into something that it's not so we can actually stand there we're like the great observers we get to stand there and actually look at the absolute lunacy that the whole thing is and especially I, I don't know especially me I always took my job very seriously but not so seriously that I was willing to like elbow people out of the way to get the shot it was like well I'm across the room I can use the zoom on the camera and get the same shot I'm, I'm okay with it so definitely there were guys like me that really like to observe the complete idiocy that the Boston sports media is. And now that you're out of it and we're going to get to the, the meat and potatoes in a second, but now that you're out of it, what is the thing like, I can't believe I did that, I can't believe I went through this, I can't believe it's like this? Um, you know what? The job is a whole, the whole thing. It's, I always told people when I left Nesson, it was to get off the roller coaster that was Boston sports. Look, the entire... Just the entire job, just following everything, is insane, and you don't have you don't have a second to even look at it when you're in it. You're in this machine that just keeps going. You you know you wake up and Belichick is supposed to talk at 8 a.m. So you got to get there at seven because you have to get a spot, especially for the camera guys, to make sure that you can actually get you know a shot of him talking at the podium. You get there at seven. You rush there. All the camera guys are there. Some guys got there at six and got in the door right when it opened, and you sit there and you get ready, and then Stacy James or somebody will come out and go, "Oh, we changed the schedule. He's not going to come out till two. And then you just sit there all day waiting till two because you have to. And your day that was planned out, and then you're calling people and rearranging your schedule for later, or missing birthday parties, or missing dinner plans, or canceling dates because that's just what it is. They change their mind and they want practice at night, you know. And you're like, okay. And you, that's just normal to you, and other people don't understand it. You know, yes. it's bizarre. Yeah. So when you got into it ten years ago, and John hired you, it was what was your first impression of? Uh, it was it, listen. When you're hired anywhere, it's like the new and the shiny thing, and yeah. like I'm gonna try my best and everything else. What was your first impression of John? When when because I know I've known John for a while too. Yeah. And I can give you my impression of him, <laughs> uh, but but for, but I come from a, certainly a different. Right. viewpoint of, of um, the writer the the guy who was very friendly to him or he was very friendly to me but you worked with him when you were hired by him what was your first impression of John Mark um, he it's it's funny because he comes off as very intense sometimes you know he's very matter of fact he cuts to the chase he tells you what's on his mind and he moves on you know and you're either gonna you're either gonna take that information and run with it or you're gonna stand there confused and he's gone. Um, so he, and 
I it's 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 hard to say. He's one of those guys. I used to always make fun of him in the shop because I'd come in on you know I'd have an off day and I come in the whole shop would be rearranged, and there was nothing wrong with the shop the way it was. But I'd turn to him and go, "You couldn't help yourself. It was fine the way it was. But you rearrange everything because you couldn't help yourself." Yeah. He just is a guy. He just moves. That's what he. That's what he does. And um, I, I give him credit because the first thing I really remember coming in is there's four camera guys there. There's a ton of travel. The schedule's insane. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm low guy on the totem pole. I'm going to take all the worst trips. I'm going to, you know, take the, you know, I'm not going to get to cover the good stuff. And, you know, it is what it is. That's kind of how most things work in the world. You're the low guy on the totem pole. The first thing he told me when I, I remember it was my first day, he said, we're not playing favorites. You are even with the three of us. We're all even. We're in it together. And that is the way. It's funny. If you worked at Nesson, it seemed like we had more fun than anybody but it's really because the four of us, uh, me, Chris, Pat, and John, stuck together and had each other's backs and made sure that no guy got less or did worse than the other guy. During the, I remember the Bruins when they traveled over in um, Prague. We were trying to figure out who got to do that trip. And uh, who was it? Chris had done Japan with the Red Sox. So we said, all right, Chris, you already got an overseas trip. So you shouldn't be in it. He said, absolutely, I already did an overseas trip with the team. So Pat, John, and I drew straw, drew straws to see who got to go to Prague. And John actually drew the straw, and he got to go to Prague. But then for the next trip, if another overseas trip came up, because there's always rumors of, you know, Patriots go to London, you know, stuff like that. Well, then it was going to be down to Pat and I, and we were going to draw straws again. And then whoever was left would get the next. But that's how we did things was everyone was even. It was right away. And and I remember John Martin said that day one, and it made the job for me. No, I never had to fight for anything. So I'm going to jump forward. When we talk, so you, you introduced John Martin to everybody a little bit here. You know, like I said, I, I've known him as well. This is obviously ALS is an insidious disease. I mean, is, we know about we know Pete Freddy situation. We know other examples, other people, but this was one where you just you know you sort of humanized John, and this was one where like we're in our inner circle, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going, and all of a sudden, boom! This guy who looks healthy is just another guy. It's just. Uh, a media member is is just a guy. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're telling me that he has ALS. Like there was absolutely no signs. And I know I'm stating the obvious, but I don't know about what your reaction. Where you, I guess tell me your reaction. Where you were, and and was it sort of along those lines of like what? What that, that can't be right because how, this is isn't possible. This came out of absolutely nowhere, which. We know it happens with ALS, but we don't know it really happens until it happens. Yeah. Well, I, it, it's funny. So, <clears throat> this to tell you the type of guy he is, too, we traveled. It was uh, October. It was the Red Sox playing um, Cleveland that series, and John and I got assigned that trip. Usually they double up the photogs when it comes to playoff time. And I was going through some personal problems. So that entire trip, that entire series, I'm complaining the entire time. Woe is me. Uh, the entire time. John already knew he had ALS, and he didn't say a word. He didn't say a word because he wanted to finish that series, 
and he wanted to then figure out how to start telling people and kind of get but he wanted to kind of finish up that baseball season so we worked together and now I think back and like he had already had a little bit of a limp and you know the signs of ALS but he never said a word and then the minute the series was done um, he called Pat Kamir and I and said hey let's grab a beer and celebrate the end of the season and we actually met in Waltham at Margaritas actually no different than you and I here and I remember, like, you know, sitting there, and we were just shooting the breeze and joking, and then he stopped, and he just said, I got to tell you guys some bad news. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, uh, he's leaving Nesson. He's, you know, and in my head, I'm like, he's beating me. He's beating me to it, you know? And I was like, that jerk. And he, he actually he couldn't get the letters out. He couldn't get the letters out. And... Um, it was I, it, I will never forget it we, it was absolutely silent we just didn't even know we didn't even know what to say we just sat there and uh, I'm walking distance from there and I walked home and I was like I called my dad and I just started venting to my dad because I was like I don't know I have to talk to somebody I have to get it out because I don't know what to do it's like somebody telling you like hey right. I don't even know what it's like it's just it's the worst news ever I think what did he explain? And I know, obviously, you've given more more information since then. Did he explain sort of how he came across? Because I think people would want to know that in terms of how the whole, how he found out about it. What were the symptoms that led up to like that trip to Cleveland? So that whole summer, he had been he had been getting some. Um, I think some sensations in his hand, some um, some numbness, um, and then I think maybe I, I think maybe a little bit in his legs too. Just some, just it, it wasn't right. Something wasn't right. So he was kind of going to doctors, and then doctors turned to specialists. And we carry around those cameras are like thirty pounds, and we carry around thirty pound cameras plus the five or ten pound backpacks, tripods, probably twenty pound that we're lugging in and out of stadiums. So the entire summer, he's kind of going through doctor after doctor after doctor trying to figure out what's going on. And the entire time, we just kept thinking it's a pinched nerve or a sciatic nerve. I mean, we're carrying around 50 pounds of gear everywhere we go. Not a, you know, And then you get into a scrum, and you're holding it on your head for 10 minutes with your hands well over your head. Um, so it never crossed our mind there was anything worse than a pinched nerve or a a strained muscle like he, he said he had some issues with his neck and his shoulder and honestly we just thought it's it's a work mm-hmm. place you know a pack of had back problems sure. at the same time he was he was going to rehab to get his back so really that was just kind of lumped in the two of them were the same problem so i think eventually i think eventually they just crossed enough stuff off their list that it started getting yeah. down to that the so he tells you about it and then, you know, obviously, like, I've seen, um, what's the documentary, the, the Saints player? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Gleason. Gleason. So anybody who really wants to see the, how that battle, how the battle goes with a camera, because Steve Gleason, who was, used to play for the Saints, I mean, he started filming, filming himself before he was diagnosed ALS. So you got a, a sort of a timeline of going throughout. So I watch that, and you, and, and you see how the, it progresses. And obviously we know Pete Frady's story. Um, but he tells you that, the news, do you immediately start 
like looking okay what's the timetable what's the solutions what's what are we going to be dealing with I, I mean i don't know if you do that because i thought when i got it when i got the news that's sort of i think timetables and and then you know after timetables a lot of it is let's be honest money yeah <laughs> money in yeah. family because he has what's his family look like uh, so he's got uh, he's got Kaya and Gabby. He's got two little girls. Um, um, you know his wife Adrian. That, I should say that that's the, actually the first thing I thought yeah, of. Yeah. I, I think of the, the family because I remember always talking to him about his kids and him coaching his kids and everything else like that. So I knew what his family consisted of. So I don't know if you go if you go through like okay, what's the timeline here? Um, I mean, I think... And feel free to eat, because this is this, this is a casual conversation I think, where I think you're drinking me, beer and eating. <laughs> I think for me it was much more... I, If you're in the Boston media, you covered Pete Frady's. Uh, Jeb Fisher and I were one of the first... Um, we were one of the first people to go to his house and do a story on Pete and talk about ALS, and he wanted to get the word out there. And I didn't know what it was. Um... And then after interviewing with him and talking to his family, they have such a great family that I, that's when I started to research what ALS was. Mm-hmm. Same as so many people with the ice bucket challenge. Like right. That really worked. It got the word out there. Like People know what it is. Um, so I kind of knew a little bit. And, um, I mean, my thought was I just want to be there. You know, like I just... I just want to be around them and be a friend and whatever they need. And then, yeah, and then I think my next thought was money, you know. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, it's – it's, and, you know, I think it's one of these things where, like, the, the Pete Freddy's example is you have the Ice Bucket Challenge. And, and the thing I loved about the Ice Bucket Challenge, obviously, is for a great thing – but to see a tangible effect of a charity, it like usually you have a charity and all right, I'm going to donate, I'm going to do a road race for whatever. Every little bit helps. But that became such a huge thing that changed the world. And for him, like that's why he should have been Sportsman of the Year. I mean, change the world when you can do something to change the world. So now we go to John's situation, and. I'm thinking about his kids. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you know, the family has to be taken care of. The care has to be taken care of. One of the things you see in this Gleason documentary is the different paths you can take with ALS treatment, but how expensive it is. And, yeah, you can take this path, but it's a lot more expensive than that path. So so we talk about, as it goes along, the progression of it. We're going to jump to the fundraising aspect of it. What was the first thing that, as his friend, you're, like, you're thinking, okay, we got to raise some money, we have to raise some money. What was the first thing that you did or you guys did or, or anybody did in terms of let's get behind this and this help the cause? Well, I mean, <clears throat> the first thing when he, he found, you know, it, it, I think everything was like, everything's a progression of, all right, I'm going to tell my family and make sure that's covered, and then I'll tell my close friends that's covered. You know, I think you go through the checklist of who needs to know. And I think he did that, and then finally he, you know, kind of came out on social media and talked about it, and Adrian posted. I don't think he's on Facebook, so his wife kind of posts everything for him on Facebook, but they announced it that they were dealing with ALS, and uh, they so his friends got together, they created a GoFundMe, 
Um, I think they set the two hundred thousand. They were aim- aiming for two hundred thousand dollars. I'm not sure how close we are to that. But but here's the reality, Brian. Is that that's great, but we know John Martin. You know, and I even remember like like to be perfectly honest. Like I didn't. I was sort of surprised that Nesson wasn't doing more. I, I really was because, and I, I think they have as it has gone on, but. I was like, we have to make it clear, like who this guy is, right. because you can set up a GoFundMe page, right. but to the average person, right. it doesn't make a difference. And honestly, to the the average person, let's be honest, with money, whether that's a professional athlete or a noteworthy person or whatever, right. there's no momentum there unless you tell who this guy is. Right. So I think that was actually probably my first. What I felt was very important was through social media was I wrote a good thing about John and who he was to me and why my connections should donate to his GoFundMe page and that's my that was my first like that was my first thing and I it was very important to me I remember I had my fiance Jenny read it over you know every time and she mm, it's not quite not quite what you want to say and I'd write another one and mm, not quite what you want to say and then finally one day I had her read it and she sat there crying and I was like all right that's the one I'm gonna post it you know, and part of me was I. That's one that tells, most importantly, who John is to me. And two, if she's crying, as sad as it sounds, that means people are going to reach into their pockets, and that's extremely important in that situation. So, what is the? Um, so, what was the, after the GoFundMe page? What was the next level of, of fundraising? And I'm gonna, obviously I'm getting to the Cafe Martin hat and right. and that cost and. It's, and it, as we sit here right now, it, it does feel like it's gaining a lot of steam, in, in large part because the athletes and, and and the noteworthy people are getting behind it. This is how it works. But so, what was after the GoFundMe thing? What was the next step? When did when did you feel, Brian, that that okay, we're finally getting some momentum here? So, the, the Cafe Martin, the whole thing came along because John John has this little patio out in front of his house. And he's just, he's a very social guy. So when you have something like ALS that slows you down, you still want to be social. You still want to see people. So people started, you know, and he was a part of everything. He was part of uh, the South End Baseball League for, mm-hmm. what, 20 or 30 years? Yeah. Um, so people wanted to see him. So he just said, hey, come by. You, you come to me. And people did. So people started going by. And uh, they started nicknaming it Cafe Martin just because it's a little... It's just a, I don't even know how big it is, but it's not very big. It's, you know, it's it's about the size of some, you know, outdoor patios at restaurants, yeah. you know. You could fit, like, three tables. And um, people started going by, and then his sister made a sign that said Cafe Martin, and they hung it outside, and they really embraced it. And then people started bringing out stuff. I, I brought them an outdoor heater so that when, you know, fall, spring came, uh, when it starts to get a little cold, well, you can still sit out there. Like, just turn out. If everybody's hanging out and having a drink, mm-hmm. either coffee in the afternoon or beer at night, you can still sit there. You don't have to be forced inside because of the weather. Screw that. It's more important to hang out with John and shoot the breeze. So then uh, Paul Devlin, who used to work, he's a reporter with John, who now works in Connecticut, said, I love, he wrote a, he has a blog, and he wrote a blog post about how great Cafe Martin is. Is that what you wanted? And, it is. <laughs> Thank you. My spinach and mushrooms are awesome. <laughs> they look terrible, but that's fine. Um, so he wrote a couple blog posts about Cafe Martin, the most popular place in Boston, and people have to go there and visit. So it kind of turned into this thing. And then Paul actually said, "Why don't we put the caf- Why don't we put that on a T-shirt?" 
Like, this is great. Like, people should be walking around in Cafe Martin t-shirts. So we did, and then, you know, then the winter came, and, uh, you know, it turned into sweatshirts. And then when spring came, John Martin said, I want hats. So we turned it into hats. But it really was just a way of... I don't think we were looking to turn it into a huge fundraiser. It was just, let's put, let's show people how cool this is. This is a great story. Let's tell this story. Right. I think all of us in the media... That's but I think social about. media, I think so... And you can tell me I'm wrong, but I think this is where social media comes in, right? And because it became, you know, this is a, a thing where if you can li- if you can find something on social media which people look forward to seeing, and is is a regular uh, item, and and the Cafe Martin all of a sudden cropped up everywhere on social media. Oh, there's another person posing in Cafe right. Martin. There's another person. When did that start taking root? So in January. I got laid off from the job. I, I went to Staples after, surprisingly, after Nesson. And um, I had a couple months off, and the first thing I thought was, awesome, I'm going to go hang out with John as much as I can. When I started freelancing, got back into the media world, was always at, you know, Patriots, Red Sox, whatever else. And I'd try and go over to see and hang out with John a couple times a week. Everywhere I went, every single person, usher, camera guy, audio people, uh, anybody in the media and beyond, security guys, asked about John Martin. How's John Martin? How's he doing? What's going on with him? Blah, blah, blah. Always asking about John. And every time I'd say, we'll reach out to him. Here's his phone number. Call him. Text him. Let him know you're thinking of him. I'd go over and see John. Hey, did so-and-so call you? Yeah. Did so-and-so text you? No. It was like a 50-50 because people are busy or they'd get the number and they'd forget or they don't want to intrude because... They don't know the situation. It's hard. People don't understand if you're not really, really tight with someone like John and I are. You don't know how to react. You don't mm-hmm. want to be in the way. Mm-hmm. And um, so then the hats came out, and I think we sold 30. And I remember thinking, like, I remember just thinking, so many people are asking me about him. Well, how about you buy a hat then? If you if you're not brave enough to call him or go visit him, buy a hat take a picture and I started just pumping on social media buy a hat take a picture I'll post it and in my head I'm thinking that way John will see it and then John will know because he's he's sitting at home he doesn't know that all these people are asking about him and caring about it I'm sure he I'm sure he does but not not to the point that I see it so I was to me I just was I, I was thinking when I started really pushing it on social media was I don't want this guy to be alone and he needs to know how much people care about him, and that is it. That was, that was the whole basis of it. So I started pumping um, the hats, and I think that round of hats we ended up selling 250, which mm. I couldn't believe. Yeah. But it was—they're good hats, by the way. They're, like, great. they're like, super comfortable. They are super comfortable. I am not even a hat guy. Like yeah. I have—I—I've always been a big fan of my hair. Yeah. So I always had the spiky yeah. hair, and the minute I got this hat, I haven't taken it off. I mean, I take it off to go to yeah. bed and shower, yeah. you know, just to be clean, but. Um, I, I never take it off. I love this hat. You know, it's it's comfortable. And to me, it's John Martin. This hat is yeah, John yeah, Martin, yeah. you know. But yeah, we sold 250 uh, that first round. And that was before the pictures started coming in. So I remember thinking like, oh, thank God. So he's sitting at home and he knows as these hats are getting sold and it's ticking up, like, all right, 
and you can see the names of who's buying them. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's it's these ushers that you shoot the breeze with for 10 minutes a day, and you go, oh, wow, he didn't forget about me. He yeah. knows that, you know, I'm I'm here still. Right. And uh, But then when the hat started coming in and people started posting pictures, that's when it really went crazy. Like, I couldn't believe... I can't even keep up with it. I'm just trying to repost everybody, and I can't keep up with it. But then at that point, it went beyond. I'm sure the Ice Bucket Challenge was kind of similar. It went beyond of it's just a few people buying it or caring about it. It's friends of friends mm-hmm. that see their friend that cares, and they say, well, I want it if you care. I had a I had a buddy the other day who bought a hat. He told me he got the link, and he bought a hat. And then I went back like a week later. He bought a hat, and he donated $100. Right. He doesn't know John at all. He yeah. just knows that John's really important to me. Mm-hmm. I can't believe the amount of outpouring for, for in that way. Well, and so, uh, again, another part of this is when you get noteworthy people involved. I mean, that's just a reality of the situation. And I remember, so you said, and in, in John was around the Bruins a lot. So Tuca came over to his house, to Cafe Martin, correct? Yeah, yeah Tuca came... We had a little barbecue, and a bunch of people came. Um, um, I, I can't remember, but there was a pile of us there. Steve Garabedium, and um, you know, we had a. I think we ordered Buffs wings, and you know, we had a couple beers, and whatever. But people else. see that. That's a game changer. I yeah. mean, I, that's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, this is yeah. this is right or wrong. That's a game yeah. changer. Well, and it's important. I think it's it was important not just to not just to people who don't know John, but it was important to people who do know John, and people in our position, we've all covered Tuca, we've all covered all these people, and it's one of the first times where you see a guy sick, and then he goes over to their goes over to his house and has a couple beers and puts on the Cafe Martin hat, he knows John, mm-hmm. so as a camera guy and a reporter and anybody who's around these guys that they're going about their business, you say, oh wow, they do notice me. I am important to them. Like right. they do care. Like so. Then I think that even brought a little more of like, all right. I think a, a lot of the other videographers and stuff said, well, if they got Tuca, I can do, I can do the same thing. I can get the next guy. I can. They kind of stepped up everybody's game of like, all right, let's Thank top you. that. It, so the the latest thing is Robert Kraft do, do, sitting in front of every doing a press conference. Number one, do you know how that came about? Um, do you I heard? Okay. So I heard that, um, I know I had gotten a couple messages from both Matt West and Tony Flanagan. Tony, uh, is the camera guy for the Patriots, uh, post game show and Jumbotron and stuff. And, um, they had reached out about hats and let's see if we can get, you know, I'm going to try and do you have any extra hats? I want to try and get some players to wear them. And so I know that they were kind of working behind the scenes to try and get something done. But, um, Moose had told me, Moose and Glenn had told me that Stacy James had seen all the hats. I mean, that's the other thing about these hats. People aren't just buying them. Right. It's not, that's what's amazing is it's not just the ice bucket challenge where you donate some money, do a crazy video, and then you move on. People are buying these hats and wearing them. Yeah. They're representing. Because they're really good hats. They are. They're great hats. They're awesome. But it's also, it's such a meaningful cause that you take with you every day. Yeah. You didn't just think about it and donate it. You're wearing it and representing it everywhere you go. So, the Patriots, I kept seeing pictures, the Patriots sidelines are filled with reporters and camera guys all wearing the same exact hat that says Cafe Martin. So if you don't know what it is, you're looking around going, what, what is this? Yeah. So I think Stacey James had inquired, what is it? And um, 
you know, everybody kind of filled him in as to what was going on. I think he, from what I heard, he felt pretty, you know, he, he, he wanted to be a part of it. And he wanted to do something to show John that he noticed that John was a professional and a great guy. And um, so he had, I think he had gotten Kraft to wear the hat. Mm-hmm. And then, I, I don't know if he, I think Kraft might have said he wanted to say something. Yeah. So they were going to, um, someone was telling me they were going to have him talk before Belichick somewhere on the field. But everybody was gathered around because it was the first time Brady was talking since the Super Bowl. No one was moving out of that scrum. I mean, you were locked down. You have to get Brady. If you don't get Brady, you're fired, you know? So uh, Kraft said, okay, well, I'll just go in the scrum. So then every every TV station in New England has Kraft talking about John Martin and wearing his John Martin hat. And from what I heard, a few stations actually thought it was going to be a full press conference with Kraft, and they went live with it in the middle of the <laughs> afternoon. And there he is talking about the Nesson camera guy, which is awesome. It's awesome. And he deserves all of it, you know, which is the best part. So, we, you know, we have, we've talked, tossed around some ideas, and, man... Yeah, I think that, like I said, momentum's a powerful thing. I think we have a lot of momentum, and hopefully this is adds even like a smidgen of, of momentum to this. But where, where does it go from here? Where does it – and I do think when I say where does it go from here, you know, once again, the reality is getting noteworthy people in front of cameras, things like that. That That is the most powerful thing. It was the same thing with the Ice Bucket Challenge. I mean, yeah, you started seeing it on your feed and your timelines and your friends and everything else. But when Gandhi or somebody, you know, someone is doing the answer, I don't know that's fine. Yeah, but no. it's like. <laughs> does, he have, does he have email? Oh, no, no, no I don't think no. so. No. no. But if Gandhi was alive, he would be doing the ice bucket challenge. I mean, and I'm not to say that, if like. If he was alive, I would text message him. I would text him. I would text him yes. or Facebook him. But this know? is. This has. <laughs> this has the potential. This has the potential to do what the ice bucket challenge did in this respect of. This summer, as we're all looking at Instagram and Facebook, seeing seeing Tom Brady pop up with this hat, seeing Oprah pop up with this hat, yeah. seeing I mean that's the type of potential this has. Yeah. And I don't I do I don't know if you feel this right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean it's great. It's it's so funny. It's every time that I've sat down on my computer because I'm trying I'm trying to make sure that I repost <clears throat> and send out pictures of. I know that Robert Kraft is a big deal, but. There's a bunch of guys that are following and retweeting me on on Twitter and liking every picture on Instagram and Facebook that don't have a ton of followers that aren't a big deal but are wearing their hat every single day. So I'm trying to keep up with those pictures as well to let them know that, hey, everybody's involved. We're not just looking for just Robert Kraft or, you know, just Pedro Martinez. We Everybody. Everybody who has a thought, who has a message, who cares – like you, I'm. I want to give you your your due as well. I want to thank you. So I'm trying to keep up with all that. But it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and more and more people are doing it. Um, Catherine Tappan sent me a text. She just bought four more hats because she said she bumped into people that saw the hats in the story and wanted to know where to get the hats. And she gave him the hats and said, post the pictures, hashtag only at Cafe Martin or Cafe Martin or tag the Bry guy. And she had to buy more hats. So people are seeing it that don't know John, that don't know anything, and it continues to widen. Uh, I reached out to the mayor of Newton because we're having a fundraiser in a couple of weeks for John. 
at the Post 440 in Newton, and I just sent them uh, the Globe article and said, hey, I just want to let you know this is going on in your city. The mayor's assistant called me right back and was like, we want to go to the fundraiser, we want to be a part of this, this is amazing, you know. So I think the, I, I think you, you get, I think that's how it works. I mean, I don't know, I'm assuming that's how it works, is you get the mayor Newton there and then the next mayor over or the governor or the next politician and it's the same way with all right all the media has it so then the pr guy says what is that oh well we want to be involved let me get mr Kraft to wear it and then it goes bigger and bigger and it's it's crazy i'm assuming that the guys who actually started the ice bucket challenge had no idea oh no yeah he taught yes absolutely i mean and you never know i mean like this is one of the reasons we're sort of doing this conversation is that I think it's important to understand that little things can become big, big things. And and this is important, too. I talked about how I love the fact that that Ice Bucket Challenge was a tangible thing where you raised so much money that you affected the world. You affected the research of this of this disease. And in this respect, I look at it, this is, this is having a tangible effect on something that I was immediately concerned about, yeah. which is John Martin's family. John Martin's care and his family. And and that's to think about the people who don't have the money, to think about the people. And I remember um, I have some other examples of people of ALS and it sort of it went quick, yeah. you know, it went quick. And and sometimes that's their decision. Sometimes that's because they don't have the resources. And but and then the family also the family aspect of it. Um, so anyway, I want you to eat your food. But I'm eating. I'm trying. I'm I, okay, trying. I know. No, no. But I'm just going to ask you. Also, chatterbox. No, no. It's no. This is what <laughs> this is what it's about. This is exactly what you are dominating. I don't know if it's your first podcast, but you are absolutely dominating. This is my first podcast. Yeah. yeah so, all right. Perfect. This is. I said like this is what podcast should be, which is, which is you're drinking beer, you're eating fish tacos. Like we did this one down. My favorite ones, and I don't even know if they get listened to the most, but. Every spring training now, every spring training being the last two, we go to Twin Peaks, we, Joe Kelly and Rick Porcello come out, we talk for an hour while we drink and eat. I mean, this isn't, there's no conflict of interest, there's no, like, yeah, and, and this is how it's supposed to be. Well, I'm obsessed with comedians in cars getting coffee. Yeah. It's 15 minute increments of two dudes riding around in a car and then they go and make fun of each other over food and coffee. It's the greatest, <laughs> yes. simplest idea ever. Yeah. But it's, uh, I love it. Well, so and again, so this, which I will expertly tie back to this, which is the simplest idea is the raising money for John Martin with the Cafe Martin hats. And so, before we go, before I ask, I'm going to limit it to one favorite memory of covering Boston sports. I'm going to, because I put you on the spot with three. But one favorite memory. Tell me, and I'll, I've, I will have already introduced this at the beginning of the podcast, but I want to do it again. Tell people how you can get these hats and how you are another way to support the cause. Um, so... We right now we make the hats through Custom Ink because everybody's. Yeah, you know, I mean we're so busy. It's great. You know, it's crazy. Custom Ink really sets it up. Um, we keep refreshing the uh, the link so that they just churn out the hats every like week or two weeks. Every time they. Have in a simple in the simplest way, go to your Twitter account. If you, if you really want, the simplest way is go to at Boxing on Twitter. That's B R Y G U Y B O X I N G, or. The Bry Guy 21 on Instagram, T H E B R Y G U Y 21. 
uh, on Instagram, and my link is in my bio on both pages. <clears throat> um, it's the easiest, simplest way. Otherwise, you can go to Custom Ink and search Cafe Martin Hats. Um, I'm sure they'll come up. I mean, at, at this point, I would hope you'd be able to Google Cafe Martin Hats. There's a lot of dead links out there, so they'll say they're done, but it's because we didn't know what we were doing at first, and we didn't know that, you know, like I said, the first uh, the first time through, we sold 30 hats, and now we're over 900. Like, it was not in the realm of possibility <laughs> that we were going to sell almost 1,000 hats, you know? Uh, but yeah, if you go to my Instagram page or uh, my Twitter account, you can get there or, you know, just reach out to me. Okay, take a big swig of that Corona, because here comes the question. The 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 uh, the best moment, uh, not the best moment, the most entertaining moment, the most memorable moment. I don't know. Give me it doesn't have just give me a good moment because just give me a good moment with like oh yeah you know what that was fun or that was noteworthy or something because this is the the life that we lead. It's bizarre. It is bizarre. It is the most it bizarre. Is. So here's the thing. You've been on plenty of road trips. I've been on road trips with you. One of the things I say is that when I go on road trips, I'll always remember like two or three things from every road trip. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that road trip in Cincinnati in 2008? I remember what happened yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Or You know, like... I, there's always two or three things I remember usually have very little to do with happening on the playing field it has to do with going out so I don't know so I, I, so it's really funny you say that because I always I have a Stanley Cup ring you know and it's one of the greatest times of my life is the whole 2011 Stanley Cup playoffs and I can't tell you one thing that happened on the ice not one thing I remember every restaurant we went to I remember getting up early and all the crazy travel uh, I remember I remember annoying people in Philadelphia so much that uh, they started referring to us as the fun bunch and they meant it as like a derogatory term and then we wore it as a, a badge of pride and started referring to our group as the fun bunch um, every I mean just the whole life is so bizarre yeah. I always say it's kind of like being when you're in the media or you're a camera guy I'd take out the whole like saving lives thing, but it's it's the same way, and you can see it with the way that the, cap, the everybody's rallied around John and the hats. That it's one of those jobs that no one understands, like firefighters. Like people don't understand it, but when something happens from all around the country, they all travel across. I'm friends with a guy in Ottawa. We connected on Instagram just because we were both camera guys, and now he's a good friend of mine. He's a great guy. Um, I'd say one. Uh, the, the one memory more than the others? Nah, you, that's an unfair yeah. question. That's not. You know what? I mean, you summed it up. Is that because I think that that's the thing that that's the takeaway, especially someone who like who has sort of left it, and to right. take a look back and say, "What a bizarre existence this is." It, it, you know what? I loved. For me, I wouldn't even say it's one thing. The one thing that I loved is that people always say, "Oh, you traveled with the Bruins, or you travel with the Red Sox. That's amazing." You know, you must have hung out with the guys, and it's like you don't know the guys really. Like they have their team, we have our team. But the one thing that I really loved more than anything else is I really took advantage of being in cities. And I know you've done the same thing. You try and stay at unique hotels. Oh, remember while. you filmed me running up the walk or the Rocky yes. steps? Yes. You and can I YouTube will, that. I will always say that the Rocky step. Okay, so here's one memory, right. just to give you a specific memory. I love the Rocky steps. I think it's the greatest. It's the greatest tourist attraction. It's definitely in the country, maybe the world. There's no other place where you go, and everyone from every culture on the planet is there doing the same stupid. 
thing. Everyone's running up the stairs and standing at the top and jumping up and down. And you stand back, and when you're first walking up, you see this, and there's like hundreds of people doing this. And that your first thought, if you've never been there, is look at these idiots. <laughs> like, what more? You look so stupid. And then when you get to the bottom of the steps, you're like, I gotta run them. And you run them, and you get, by the time you get to the top, you're like, well, I'm gonna turn around and jump up and down. So <clears throat> I go there with Gary Streisky. We're working, it was uh, opening when they opened in Philly. I don't remember what year. We had, our, we had our off day. We're like, oh, we walked around the city. It was like, it was like bromance date, like central, because we visited the Love Statue. Like, we went everywhere. So we go to the Rocky Steps, and we're standing at the bottom, and he's like, I wanna post something on, you know, YouTube or on my Facebook. I said, cool. If I said, uh, I'll tape you if you tape me. And I had his phone, and I had the Rocky theme song playing on my phone so that it would get on, and I chased him up the steps. And he did a whole thing, and then we walked back down the bottom, and we trade phones, and he does it for me. And I run up the steps, and I I jump up and down, and I remember seeing this guy, and I'm looking at him like... Why is this guy staring at us? And he looks really familiar. And I have no idea who he is, but he looks really familiar. So we finish, we finish the Philly series, and we go to New York. And it's the first time that Sandy Leone is going to play. Is he's going to be catcher? He, they had signed him to the team early that year, but it's the first time he's going to catch. So we had to get sound from Sandy Leone. He's a quiet guy. So we go in the the Yankees locker room, and we were like, "Hey, Sandy, you got a minute?" He's like, "Yeah." And he goes, "I saw you guys the other day." <laughs> I said, what do you mean? What do you mean you saw us the other day? And I'm looking at him and I go, I saw you at the bottom of the Rocky Steps. You were staring at us. He goes, yeah, you guys you, go, I, you guys were running up and chasing each other up and down. I said, we kind of look like idiots. He's like, well, I didn't want to say anything, you know? Well, I remember, so I, and you can find this on YouTube where you filmed it. You were with uh, Jeb Fisher, yeah. right? And so yeah. I had the flip camera. This how yeah. long ago this was, but... You were nice enough to film it, and I. But I started. I started across across the street. Across the street. That's not even where Rocky ran. You went across the street, and there was like a there was like a chain. There was a chain, so you had to jump over the chain, and you almost got hit by a car. I almost tripped over the chain. I almost got hit by the car, and then I run up, and you don't realize how unathletic you look when you're jumping up and down, and your shirt's flying up, and your guts hanging out. But it's a rite of passage. Anyway, we we have to eat. And so, uh, Brian, thanks so much, man. And uh, and we're gonna we can continue the conversation, and maybe we'll even reconvene a little bit later. And Absolutely. and uh, but everyone, obviously, it's a great message. And thanks for stopping by. Absolutely, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Where's the off? Where's the off? <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. 
Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Baseball is everywhere with the MLB app. Get exclusive updates from around the league on your mobile devices. From game day pitch-by-pitch features to select live broadcast coverage, the MLB app is your ticket to all things baseball all the time. Get live notifications sent to your phone, watch, and car so you're always up to date on the biggest breaking news, scores, and standings. The MLB app is your hub for live baseball everywhere you go. Download the MLB app today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Additional subscriptions may be required.